Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm your producer, Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Recently, Rob completed a teaching series entitled Save, Sing, and Share the Hymns. This course will teach you how the book of Psalms was arranged and motivate you to create a personal hymn book inside your mind. You'll also journey alongside a young music minister as Rob guides him through 60 classic hymns we should never lose. This unique course includes a downloadable guide to the book of Psalms, live music samples of select hymns, and a bonus interview with worship professor Vernon Whaley. For a limited time, we're offering this nine-session online course at a 50% discount. Visit robertjmorgan.com and click on the Courses link to find and enroll in this self-paced study using any computer or mobile device. And now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. Hello there, and welcome to our podcast and our study of the Book of Acts. As you very well know, the past year has been full of politically charged discussions regarding race relations in the United States and around the world, and we've all learned about critical race theory, identity politics, racial justice and injustice, and the pain that the reality of racial disharmony brings to our land and to all of our relationships. Well, I don't want to get into all of those issues, but I do have one contribution to make to this discussion. The Bible tells us, and I really believe this with all of my heart, that there is only one entity or one institution that can potentially eliminate race as a valuation factor, and that is in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Government agencies cannot do it, although we need wise laws. Universities cannot do it, although we need biblical education. The media cannot do it, although we need honest reporting. Advocates, advocacy groups cannot do it, although some of those may be very well-meaning, but all of these groups and all of us are systemically sinful. Many people on all sides of this issue are speaking and shouting with moral arrogance, but all of these groups and all of these people are systemically and systematically sinful, for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God without the power of the cross and of the blood of Jesus Christ. But listen to what the Bible says about the church. Ephesians chapter 2 says, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles. You can put any races or ethnicities there that you want to. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from these two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who are far away from him, and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Well, that's from Ephesians chapter 2, but it's really based on what happened earlier in the book of Acts in chapter 10, which we're coming to today, the tremendous birth of the international 
interracial cosmopolitan church of Jesus Christ had its beginnings in Acts chapter 10 in the home of Cornelius, a Roman centurion. This is a story, the implications of which are so important that we must study it as carefully as we can. And I'd like to ask you to turn there. We're in a series of studies through the book of Acts, and so we happen to be coming to this chapter now. And the more I read it, the more amazed I am at the answers it provides for the ills that are plaguing our society right now. And so I want to make these two assertions from the very beginning, that America and all of its institutions is systemically sinful, and that in Acts chapter 2, the church of Jesus Christ is a people redeemed by his blood and empowered by his spirit to love one another is the zone in which racism can be answered with love. So let's begin our study here of Acts chapter 10. My professor at Columbia International University, James Hatch, said in his Progress of Redemption course that the church was not born on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, as we often say. He says that is, of course, one way of looking at it, but a better way, a more factual and biblically accurate way would be to say that the church was conceived within the womb of Judaism in Acts chapter 2, but it was born in Acts chapter 10. It had a development period, a pregnancy, a gestation period between chapters 2 and 9. It was conceived within the womb of Judaism on the day of Pentecost, but it was born in Caesarea in Acts chapter 10, because this is where the international church, this was where it was born, in which the wall between the races, the wall between Jews and Gentiles was torn down, as we read about in the book of, uh, in the book of uh, um, Ephesians. And both those who were near and those who were far away became one, one entity, one body in Christ. All of that took place beginning here in Acts chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me and let's begin. The first two words say, at Caesarea. Now, Caesarea was a city in Israel, which was built by Herod the Great along the patterns of the city of Rome. It looked like the city of Rome, and it was intended to be primarily the city where the occupying Roman forces that dominated Judea would be headquartered. And so the ruins of it are still there to this day. It was a Gentile city largely, and because of that, the Roman soldiers felt more at home there. The Jewish people despised it, but Herod the Great built a great port, and so most of the traffic, the sea traffic, came in and out of Caesarea. And there was one particular soldier there, a Roman centurion named Cornelius. He was a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need, and he prayed to God regularly. This language would lead us to believe that he was a Jewish proselyte, that even though he was a Gentile, he had respect and some adherence uh, for the religion of Judaism. But it's interesting that in his pre-Christian state, before his conversion, he is still described here as devout and God-fearing, and he gave generously, and he prayed regularly. 
So one day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he said. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, here we have a man who wasn't yet saved. This, to me, illustrates a great missionary principle. People say, what will God do with the heathen? How can he judge them? But I've always believed that if a person responds to the light that they have, the Lord will send them more light. And here Cornelius was responding and had been, he was responding to the light that he had. And God was about to send him more light. And so here was a man who his prayers were heard even though he was not yet saved and his gifts to the poor were respected by God even though he was not yet regenerated. Verse 5, the angel said, Now send men to Joppa and bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. And he told them everything that had happened and he sent them to Joppa. Now Joppa is down the coast a good little way. Uh, you can drive there between Joppa and Caesarea pretty quickly. In those days, it took a little bit longer to go with their modes of transportation. But Jaffa was about the area where Tel Aviv is now. In fact, Tel Aviv is called Tel Aviv Jaffa. And this was the uh, great port city of Israel in Old Testament days. This is where Jonah had sailed out on his way escaping uh, the Lord, or so he thought. Um, and so Simon had been there uh, doing some ministry, which is recorded in the previous chapter. And it says that in verse 9, about noon, the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter, bearing Joppa, the home of Simon the Tanner, which was uh, built right alongside the um, Mediterranean Sea, he went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now, doing so would go against the dietary strictness of the Old Testament Jewish law. So Peter said, surely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Now, all of this is a symbolic trance, but the message was do not call anyone impure that God has made clean. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back up to heaven. Verse 17, while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They came out asking if Simon, was, who was known as Peter, was staying there. This to me is very picturesque. I can see that house by the Mediterranean Sea, and Peter had been up on the roof, and it was lunchtime, and he was hungry, and the smell of the food uh, as somebody was fixing lunch was wafting around, and here from uh, Caesarea, show up these two servants and the one soldier, and they call out for Peter. And it says, 
In verse 21, Peter went down and said to them, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you had to say. And then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. So it would have been interesting to have been there tonight. We had these three people from Caesarea, one a soldier, two were friends, and then friends of Cornelius, and then Simon the Tanner and his family, and Simon Peter, and they were all there. They had supper together. They spent the night there together, bunked out however they could. And it says the next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along with them. We found out later six local Christians went with this group. The following day, he arrived at Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and friends. My own opinion is the soldier had run ahead or ridden ahead and said, well, they're on their way. They'll be here about three o'clock. So as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. So imagine here in this first century home of the Roman centurion, there was just a crowd full of people in this house or maybe in the courtyard of the house, and they have gathered with great excitement. They want to hear what this Simon and Peter has to say. They're curious, and Cornelius has invited them to come, and they've come at his invitation. Now, look at verse 28. This is very important, and it gets to our discussion of racial prejudice. Peter said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile. So in the Old Testament, the Lord had wanted the Jewish people not to intermarry so that the clear line of Jewish descent would be available for the Messiah. But they really took this further than they should have in all of their regulations and pharisaical applications of it so that they wouldn't even talk or be with someone if they were a devout pharisaical Jew. And so Peter says, you are well aware it's against our law for a Jew not to associate with or visit a Gentile, but God has shown me, this is verse 28, that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Now, here you have a real key. You know, earlier, Peter said, I understand from this vision that nothing is impure if it has your blessing on it. And now he says that applies to people. I should not call anyone impure or unclean. There is no qualification about it. It is just a fact. God has shown me I should not call anyone impure or unclean, that racism has no philosophical, no ethical, no theological, no biblical foundation whatsoever. We are all members of the human family that God created. I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising an objection. Now, may I ask why you sent for me? Verse 30, Cornelius answered, Three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. 
Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it is good of you to have come. Now we are here to hear in the presence of God everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Now here in verse 34, we have another abolishing statement as it relates to racial discrimination. Then Peter began to speak, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Peter came progressively to this belief, but now he said earlier, I should not call anyone impure or unclean. And here in verse 34, he says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Here we have at the birth of the global church in Caesarea, the introductory principle, even before Peter gets to the gospel, that God accepts people from every nation and he does not show favoritism. This is the unifying principle that makes possible the global church of Jesus Christ. It is in its essential nature, non-racial, non-discriminatory. It's that way from the very beginning. This is the foundational principle that there is no Jew or Gentile. God does not show favor. He does not show um, discrimination. But he goes on to say in verse 36, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel. We have a message that came from Israel, but it's for all of the world announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Peter continues, we are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by the people, but was witnessed uh, by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. And now we have another profound statement. Let's just go back and review them. He says in verse 15, the voice said, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. He said in verse 28, I should not call anyone impure or unclean. He said in verse 34, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. He says in verse 35, he accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. All of these are theological, biblical, authoritative statements outlawing, banishing, forbidding, and melting away prejudice or the theory of racial discrimination in the one entity that Jesus died to establish, which is the church. And now in verse 42, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge to the living and the dead. All of the prophets testify about him that everyone, everyone who believes in him 
receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And with that word, everyone, which opens the gospel to every man and woman and boy and girl of every tribe and tongue and nation and racial background and ethnicity on this planet, everyone who believes in him, with that word, suddenly, invisibly, quietly, in their hearts, Everyone in that room believed in Jesus. They were instantly converted, and the Holy Spirit came upon them. It says in verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out by the Gentile, poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. This is a reenactment of what happened on the day of Pentecost, but this is the Gentile Pentecost, or more accurately, it is the Pentecost giving birth to the true international global church that is made up of men and women during, uh, and boys and girls of every tribe with the wall of petition, as Paul puts it in Ephesians, being torn down so that of both Jew and Gentile, there is one entity, the church. And it says, then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them a few days. So chapter 10 of the book of Acts, in my mind, is the most relevant chapter in all of the Bible on the abolishing of barriers between races. It is done by the power of the cross, done by the power of the Holy Spirit, and is theologically and morally possible only in human natures that have been transformed by the downpouring of the Holy Spirit and the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, let me show you two other verses that go along with this. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 11, Paul the Apostle articulates this phenomenon like this. He said, here there is no Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised. Here in the church, no bar uh, barbarian, Scythian, free or slave, but Christ is all and is in all. And then turn over to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians Chapter 3, where the universal principle that we saw demonstrated in Acts chapter 3 is articulated. Galatians 3, verse 26. So in Jesus Christ, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. We have all been made one in Christ, and this is the only zone of reality in the entire world that has the biblical, the theological, the divine, the moral, and the practical foundation to live a life of love. For men and women, whoever they are, wherever they come from, it is found only in the Lord Jesus Christ and only in the church as it is designed to be, as illustrated and begun 
in the book of Acts and the 10th chapter. There in that house of the centurion named Cornelius. Well, I hope that you found this a unifying and informative study. Next time, we will continue to go on with our study in Acts chapter 4. Thank you for listening. This is Robert J. Morgan. You can find other resources at my website, robertjmorgan.com. And I hope that you will look for my uh, one-minute Bible studies on Facebook and Instagram. This podcast is produced by Clearly Media. May the Lord bless you all. May the Lord bless you richly and be with you until we meet again.